Hello everyone from my uh, back porch recording studio, uh, recording our sermon yet again. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, what we've been doing is making a video recording of the sermon as well as posting it on the podcast. And then we get together uh, at a normal large group time on Thursday nights at 7. And we do like a short time of hanging out and uh, we do some prayer and then we'll break into small groups and discuss the sermon. And at REF, we believe that you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And this semester, uh, we've been in a series on the Psalms. uh, And we've uh, titled this Songs That Shape Us, uh, because that's what the Psalms are. The Psalms are songs that are meant to to shape how we relate to the world around us. They're meant to uh, give us a vision of what life is supposed to be like and encourage us to live like that. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 87. Uh, And the title of this one is A Song About the Church. A Song About the Church. So you may have seen uh, these videos floating around online. um, And you should watch them right now because we're all struggling a little bit and I think we need a little bit of a uh, pick-me-up. But uh, it's it's a video of a colorblind person receiving these uh, vision-correcting glasses for the first time. So these people who've been colorblind their entire life uh, get these glasses and then all of a sudden they can see color. And and it's the first time they've ever done it. It's a, it's a big deal. And I saw one as I was prepping for this of, of a kid that was particularly striking. Uh, the kid is sitting out on his back porch and uh, he unboxes these glasses. They're way too big, which just kind of adds to the cuteness of it. But as soon as he puts on these glasses, everything around him becomes amazing. He, he starts off, he says, the sky, it's, it's bright blue. The grass, it's so green. Dad's grill, it's dark black. I don't know why that one stood out to him. But for this kid, a world that looks so drab and boring is all of a sudden full of wonder. And that's what this psalm does for us today. The psalm gives us a new set of lenses to where we can view reality in a different way. And it gives us a new set of lenses specifically about the church, about the community of God's people. And this might seem uh, like a strange time to be talking about the church, uh, seeing as how we're all uh, isolated, uh, unable to gather, especially with this being Holy Week. A lot of people are feeling that. We're not able to go to church on Sunday. Uh, But I think now more than ever, it's important for us to have a vision of what uh, God's community is supposed to be like, of what the church is supposed to be like, uh, to let that fill us up, to let us know what life is supposed to be like with God's people. And so this psalm tells us three things about the church, and this is going to be kind of my outline for us as we get started. So first, the church is a beloved community. Second, the church is an inclusive community. And third, the church is a life-giving community. So the church is a beloved community, an inclusive community, and a life-giving community. So I'm going to read the passage for us, and uh, I'll pray, and we can get started. So Psalm 87, starting in verse 1. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. 
The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Let's pray. Our Father, as we turn to your word, uh, we pray that you would open our eyes. Lord, that uh, this psalm would be like a, a new... Um, a new set of lenses through which we can view reality. I pray that you would help us to see uh, the church, the community of believers, the way that you do. Um, Give us a new vision that will uh, help us to hope. And all these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the church is a beloved community, an inclusive community, and a life-giving community. So first, the church is a beloved community. Uh, so starting off in this, in this psalm, it talks about Zion. It says, On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Uh, and you may have heard uh, Zion. I know there's a church in town uh, called Zion. What, is, what does Zion mean? Uh, at its most basic level, Zion is another name for Jerusalem, which was the capital city of Israel. It was the place where uh, David, the great king and writer of a lot of the Psalms, lived. Um, but I think there's more to it. Uh, think with me, when, when, you, when we gather at games, which I haven't actually been to a Husker game yet, but I'm hoping to in the fall, uh, and say things like, there is no place like Nebraska, what do we mean? Are we referring to uh, the place? Are we you know, simply saying there's no place like Kearney, there's no place like Grand Island? Sure, that's part of it, but it's more than that. Uh, We're saying that there's no place like Nebraska. There's no place like the the place, the people, the way of life. And I think that's what the psalm is saying when it's referring to Zion. It's not just referring to the actual city of Jerusalem. It's referring to the place where God is worshipped. This would have been the place where the temple is, which in the Bible was the place where heaven and earth met. It was the place where God dwelt among his people. But more than that, it's the place, it's, it's not just the place, it's the people who worship him. So Zion is referring to the place where God is worshipped and the people who worship him. And so this is, this is applicable to us in the New Testament. This is applicable to the church. The church is a place, of course, but it's also a people. The church is a place and a people. So what do we learn about Zion? What do we learn about the church here? We see first that God founded it. In verse 1 it says, On the holy mount stands the city he founded. So what this means basically is that the ultimate foundation of the church, of the believing community, does not arise from something inside of us. It wasn't that we just thought it was a good idea for us to get together and worship God. No, it was, it was God's idea. He is prior. He's the one who created it. Uh, some of you may have heard of um, the, uh, let's see, this, this kind of like it's a popular uh, North or American origin story. Uh, and the story goes something like this. It was, it was 1787. Uh, America has just won the Revolutionary, won the Revolutionary War. And uh, the Founding Fathers are gathered at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. And they're deliberating what sort of government. They're writing the Constitution. And on the final day of writing the Constitution, people are waiting outside of Independence Hall. And they're, they're just with bated breath. They're like, what sort of government are we going to have? And the story goes, whether it's true or not, it's, it survives. The, the lady comes up to, a lady comes up to Ben Franklin, and she says, what sort of government have you given us? And then Ben Franklin responds, a republic. 
if you can keep it. You see, this is like the origin story of the United States. It's a group of people who came together after experiencing uh, oppression, taxation without representation, and we got together under this idea and decided that we were going to form a more perfect union. We're going to form a republic, a democracy. And see, the church, what we see in this passage, is not that at all. The church is not a group of people coming together under this idea and and building a more perfect union. No, the church is a divine creation. The church is something that God made. It was his idea. But not only did God found it, we see in verse 2 that God also loves the church. It says, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. And it's interesting here, we just see that the Lord loves the gates of Zion. Uh, and, and gates here is just being used kind of a shorthand for the entire city. But, you know, in, in a time like this, you would have had to enter into a gate to come into a city, kind of like how you have to enter into the gate to come into Memorial Stadium. Or when you're coming into Nebraska, you, uh, you pass the sign that says the good life. Uh, when you're entering into it, it, it brings up all the things that you love about the city. The Lord loves Zion in this way. But it's also interesting that there's no reference to anything that we do here. There's no reference to any sort of, this is why the Lord loves Zion. It doesn't say because they make like the best shawarma or anything, even though they probably had some really great shawarma at that time. I don't know. There's no reference to anything that we do. No, it, it's, it's the Lord's love is prior. Some of you may be familiar with the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible. If you're not, you should make yourself familiar with it. It's really good. Uh, but it says this in relation to the creation account where God created Adam and Eve. It says, God loved them with his whole heart, and they were lovely because he loved them. God loved them with his whole heart, and they were lovely because he loved them. You see here, the Lord loves the church, not because they were lovely. No, they, they were lovely because the Lord loves the church. It's not from anything that we do. The Lord loves us, and it makes us lovely. So God loves the church. And we see in verse 3 that God brags on the church. It says, Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. And this word glorious here, in the original language, it means something like heavy or weighty. So like when you talk to a friend uh, and your friend uh, says something really important, you might respond and say, wow, that's, that's really heavy. That's, that's what this is getting at. It means something significant. Significant, weighty things are spoken of you, O city of God. And this is God saying these glorious things. And this language of glory actually in the Bible is most often used to describe God. So God here is using the highest language possible to describe his people. He's using the highest language possible to describe the church. Uh, I think another way of putting this is like, I I don't know if you know, uh, the rapper Drake really loves the Toronto Raptors. Um, He fanboys over them. He's at every single game. He was at their uh, victory parade the last time. What I want to say here is that God fanboys the church kind of like Drake does the Toronto Raptors. He's obsessed with the church. He talks about the church constantly. He speaks glorious things about the church. So what does all this mean practically? What is all this, uh, you know, the, the fact that the church is a beloved community, that it's beloved by God, what does that mean for us? It means, first off, that we're a part of a community if we're a Christian. 
Uh, a lot of times, especially in American culture, when we talk about Christianity, we talk about it like it's just me and Jesus. That's, that's all the relationship that there is. But actually in the Bible, that's not how it talks most of the time. It does talk about individual salvation. That's very important. And we're right to emphasize that. But actually, especially in the New Testament, when it says you, what it usually means is y'all. It means y'all. It's plural. It's talking about the community. It's not talking about individuals. And what that means on a basic level is that we need each other. To be a Christian is to be a part of the church. It's to be a part of the beloved community. Uh, there was a church father who said at one point, um, he said, a man cannot have God as his father without having the church as his mother. And basically what we mean by that is that there's no way that you can possibly love the Lord without loving the church. You're immediately part of a community of believers as a Christian. But I think this also means that the church is lovely not just because of its composite parts. It's lovely primarily because God founded her. God's the one who created the church. God loves the church. And ultimately, he sent his son to die for the church. That's what we're celebrating this week in Easter. It's Jesus coming and dying for this community. And I think this also means that, that Christian community is God-centered. And that might sound like, well, duh, of course, Christianity is about God. Um, but a lot of times, practically, we don't live that way, I don't think. A lot of times, our Christian community really, like, if we look around, all, the only people who are involved in our Christian community are people who look like us, who dress like us, who talk like us, who listen to the same music as us. But that's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be God-centered. If God's the one who created it, then it should be all about him. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a theologian um, in the in a World War II era, he said this about Christian community. Someone asked him, uh, who is your brother? Meaning, who, who are you in community with? He says, my brother is anyone who has been redeemed by Christ. What determines our brotherhood is what that man is by reason of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. That's what Christian community is. It means a group of people who are loved by Jesus and called to do that together. It's okay if you have things that you're interested in that other people in the church are interested in, but fundamentally what makes the church the church is God's love, is God's foundation is the fact that God loved the church, that he built the church, that he sent his son to die for the church. The church is God-centered. So the church is a beloved community. But next we also see that the church is an inclusive community. If you would look with me to verse 4, you see some kind of unexpected inhabitants of Zion. Some unexpected, uninspected inhabitants of uh, God's people. It says in verse 4, Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the ancient world, let me just go ahead and tell you, this is not the list of people that you would expect to be a member of God's people. None of these are members of uh, the people of Israel, God's chosen people. Uh, you would expect maybe a listing of the tribes of Israel, but instead what we get here is a listing of a lot of different nations. Let's see who we have here. Uh, the first ones, we have Rahab and Babylon. 
And Rahab is just another name for Egypt that the Bible sometimes uses. So Egypt and Babylon. And kind of to this point of the story in the Bible, these are the two big oppressors in Israel's story. Like these are not the people that you would want in the church next to you. Starting here is kind of like, uh, it's kind of like what it would be like if we heard on the news that Donald Trump was inviting ISIS and the Taliban uh, to the White House for dinner. Like it would have been that level of shocking for the original audience to see Rahab and Babylon are the first people mentioned as those who know the Lord and who are a part of his community. But then it goes on and says Philistia. Uh, Philistia, you, you might have heard some stories in the Bible about conflict with the Philistines. They're a constant opponent of Israel. And it says Tyre. And Tyre was kind of like the, the trading powerhouse. They were uh, kind of the stockbrokers of the day. They're, they were wealthy. And then Cush. Cush is just another name for Ethiopia, which would have been the furthest reaches of the earth at that time. It would be the, the, the limit of the known world. So what we see here is that the members of the city of God are shown to be uh, the oppressors, the opponents, the wealthy, and those on the far reaches of the earth. This is, these are some uninspected, unexpected inhabitants here. Uh, I don't know about you, um, but I have a, let me just disclaimer, I don't endorse this show. Just going to say that off the top. But uh, many of us have watched the show on Netflix, Tiger King. Um, and yeah, it is, it is something else. Uh, but Tiger King kind of tells the story of all of these people. If you haven't seen it, um, it sh- tells the story of all these people who own like big exotic cats, like tigers, like hundreds and thousands of tigers. And they're, they're just all over the U S and these people are insane. And you're watching this documentary. And if you've seen any documentaries, you kind of expect there to be like a good guy and a bad guy. Um, but as the thing goes on, there I mean, it introduces us to all these characters. This guy named Joe Exotic, this woman named Carol Baskin, this guy named Doc Antle. And, and at first, a lot of these people seem like good guys. But the closer you get, the worse people become. And if you watch it, you know there are no good guys in this story. And I think what we're seeing here in this psalm is that the church is like that. That there are not any, there, there aren't clear good guys. The church is full of people who it doesn't make any sense that they're there. So how do these people get there? How do the new inhabitants get into God's people? We see in verse 5 it says, This one was born, or this, this one and that one were born in her. And then again in verse 6 it says, This one was born there. Uh, and kind of the question is, how do all these people, like the, the Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush, it, it mentions them from these other places. So clearly they're not born in God's city. They're born in other places. But how do they get there? How is someone born somewhere where they weren't born? It doesn't make any sense. It's a good question. Uh, in John 3, Jesus actually talks about this. Uh, John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a leader of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus, uh, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they be born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they be born again. And Nicodemus is kind of confounded. His response essentially boils down to, like, LOL what? Like, how is that supposed to happen? How can someone be born again? Am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? 
And see, what Jesus is talking about when he says you must be born again, uh, it's talking about spiritual rebirth. And that's what this psalm is talking about as well. And you may have heard that the theological term for this is, uh, is called regeneration. Regeneration, or some might call it uh, being born again, right? Like being a born again Christian. But at its most basic level, regeneration means God giving a spiritually dead person new life. It means God breathing life into a corpse. That's what regeneration is. And that's what the Bible says. That's, that's how all of us come to life. Regeneration has nothing to do with the one with the person who is ultimately born again. A corpse can't merit new life. They're just given it. It's impossible for someone who is spiritually dead to will themselves to life. It has to come from God. And we see this same idea back in our passage. It says in verse 5, it says, For the Most High himself will establish her. The Most High, meaning God, he's the one who gives new birth to the enemies of his people. That's how these people are going to get there. And if you're in the original audience, uh, like the, the Israelites, when they, when they read this and when they sang this, I mean, like, oh, that makes sense, God. That's how you're going to get all these wicked people into your community. That's how you're going to get all these sinners in there. I mean, I still wish you hadn't. Don't get me wrong, but it makes sense. You're going you're gonna to give them new life. And kind of imagine God would say the same thing to them. God would say, well, yes, that's true, but I hate to break it to you, but that's the same way that you got here. We all enter into the kingdom by being reborn. We are all spiritually dead and given life by God. That's how we all got here. So that's what we mean that the church is an inclusive community. We all get in in the same way. So what does this mean for us practically? I think first off, this means that everyone is welcome in the church. Everyone is welcome. There's not a single person or people group who is not welcome in the church. And, you know, in this passage, the first place it goes is Rahab and Babylon, the, the oppressors. It makes me wonder, who are the people that we don't want to see in the church? Who are the people that we think that God's grace can't or, or even shouldn't go to? Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome in God's people. But I think this also means you can't earn your spot in God's people. The way that we get into the church is through God breathing life into our spiritual deadness. Period. It doesn't come from us being nice. It doesn't come from us being spiritually better or more just like a natural spiritual person. It doesn't come from anything natural in us at all. It comes from God's will. Remember, God's the one who founded the church. He created it. So we can't earn our spot. But also on the flip side of that, we can't lose our spot. There's nothing that you can do to disqualify you. Nothing. If you didn't earn your way in, then you can't get yourself out. That's good news. So the church is an inclusive community. And finally, the church is a life-giving community. If you would look with me to verse 7. It says, singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. All my springs are in you. And this seems kind of like a pretty hard pivot from what they were talking about earlier in the passage. It's kind of a different perspective. And what I think is going on here is it's describing the experience of those who have been brought in in verses 4 through 6. 
the new inhabitants of the city who have been given this new birth. Verse 7 is describing their experience. All these disparate people who the Lord has brought in are going to join together in joyful worship and singing and dancing, and they'll say, all my springs are in you. Uh, So what does that mean? What does springs mean? Uh, And the spring here, it could be translated fountain sometimes or satisfaction in other translations. That's that's basically what it means. It literally means a place where water flows. But metaphorically, it, it means something like satisfaction or or new life, or refreshment. All my springs are in you. All my refreshment is in you. And then who is the you here? Um, Immediately we want to say, well, it's God. Um, But actually, no, in context, the you here is the church. It's the city of God. It's Zion. All my springs are in you. And one commentator summed up this verse like this says that this verse is saying that there will come a day where the church shall be universally regarded as the place where the water of life springs for the whole of mankind and shall be universally praised as this place of fountains. So the church is supposed to be a life-giving community, a place where, where life flows out from it, where all these people, all these different nations that are brought in, all these different people groups, who have all these other things that they value about them, ultimately, in coming in the church, they will see that the church is the place where they are most valued. The church is the place where they are given life. And there will come a day when when all nations recognize that. And can you imagine that? I mean, don't you want this? Who doesn't want to be a part of a life-giving community? So many of us are tired and drained by being overcommitted. So many of us are part of communities that require so much of us and don't give anything back to us. But why is the church not like this? Why is the church life-giving? I think it's it's life-giving because at the center of the church is one who gave his life for his people. At the center of the church is one who gave his life for his people. You see, most organizations ask you to give your life to them in hopes that that one day they will become something and they'll take you with them. But in the church, you find that you're given everything you need when you walk in the door. You're fully loved. Nothing you can do can gain your spot. Nothing you can do can lose your spot. That's life-giving. See, the church is the place where, where you are enabled to live out of a full tank. And we all need this. We all need a place where we are filled up and released back into all of the other communities that that tend to be draining on us, don't we? But for some of us, this idea of the church as life-giving, it doesn't fit with our experience. Uh, For a lot of us, the church has felt a little bit more life-draining than life-giving. A lot of us, the church has felt a little bit more fake than real. Uh, And for a lot of us, the church has felt a little bit more exclusive where there are insiders and outsiders than inclusive. So how can we love the church when our experience of it hasn't been very life-giving? I think we can love the church because Jesus gave his life for the church. Because Jesus loved the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, which I know the uh, Freshman Bible Study is looking at this week, uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking on marriage. 
And he says this, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, Jesus loves the church not because she is life-giving for him. Now, he loves the church into existence. He gives his life for the church so that she might become a fountain of life. I think that the church has understood this for a long time. There's this beautiful uh, building in St. Louis. Uh, It's called the Cathedral Basilica. And if you've ever been there, it's spectacular. It's got, like, I think the largest collection of mosaic art in the United States, maybe. But it's absolutely beautiful. Every single square inch of this place is beautiful. But if you pay attention, you've actually been there you'll know that the building is shaped like a cross. The building is shaped like a cross. And why is that? I think it's making a theological point that that fundamentally all the beauty that arises from the church comes from the cross of Christ. All the beauty in the church comes from being reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. You see, while the church is not perfect, she is loved. While the church is not made up of the cream of the crop, she is open to all. She's inclusive. And while the church may not be successful by worldly standards, she is life-giving, a fountain of life. And I want to close with the words uh, of an old hymn written about this psalm. I believe Mark put it on the Spotify worship playlist for this week. So here are these words. The hymn is called, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken formed thee for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose? With salvation's walls surrounded, thou mayest smile at all thy foes. See the streams of living water springing from eternal love. Well supply thy sons and daughters, and all fear of want remove. Who can faint while such a river ever flows their thirst assuage? Grace which, like the Lord the giver, never fails from age to age. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we thank you for your church. Lord, we thank you um, for the opportunity to be a part of the beloved community, the inclusive community. Lord, the community that is life-giving. And Lord, for for many of us, the church may not have been that. Um, But Lord, I pray that you would help us to love the church because you love the church. I pray that we would um, be able to catch a vision of the church, how Psalm 87 describes it. Lord, that um, we would not only have Christian community be something that we're involved in in college. No, Lord, that we would be involved in the church for the rest of our lives. Lord, 15, 20 years from now, we would be faithfully loving and serving, that we would be able to say 25 years from now, all my springs are in you. I pray that that would be true of us. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.